You are listening to Fanfare Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Wolcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to Making Tracks, the first episode of 2023, and a very special episode as we swing back to late 2022 and the Bad Batch Roundtable, which featured guests including Dee Bradley Baker, the voice of the Bad Batch, Jennifer Corbett, head writer and executive producer, Brad Rao, supervising director and executive producer, and Michelle Ang, the voice of Omega. Panther Tracks were fortunate enough to be part of the D. Bradley Baker interview and had questions posed in the other two roundtables, so let's head back to late 2022 and the Season 2 Bad Batch roundtable with Jennifer Corbett, Brad Rao, D. Bradley Baker and Michelle Ang. We're going to start off with Mark. You have the first question. Hello, D. Hey, Mark. How keen or not keen are you to take on new clone voices? And I ask that because it's always recognisably the same guy, but presumably there's only so many ways you can do the same guy. Do you do you relish taking on another iteration of that character, or do you sometimes think, oh, what am I going to do? Uh, I always think, what am I going to do? And then, <laughs> and then we nail in something that gives this new clone character something unique and sometimes it's an image sometimes it's it's an adjective or two um but there's you can always add something that's a different flavor of um of angle on any of them just to keep them all separate and to establish um something of the character of each of these because they are they're not generic that's that's the key is these guys are not generic and they all have a, a different age, a different uh, kind of experience, a different attitude towards uh, towards problem solving, and so um, I I think we can we can keep going, um, and 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 in season two we do that. There there's some really interesting characters um, uh, coming up, uh, you know, Mayday, um, where it's like there's new, fresh, interesting guys that it's like yes, they're clones. But this feels like a new guy, a new a new character. Thanks, Dave. All right. And now we're going to go to Sarah with Fangirls Going Rogue. Hello, Dee. So excited to talk with you today. Hey, Sarah. How's it going? Hi. I'm doing great. And I just had a question um, for you. Now, which member of Clone Force 99 are you easily able to slip into and which takes just a little more work? Well, the most amount of work is Wrecker. <laughs> <laughs> He's also the most amount of fun, but but vocally speaking, that kind of that 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 it's it's just it it's a lot more uh, vocal uh, vocal heavy lifting, so to speak. Uh, the easiest is to jump into is tech. I mean, that's I, I'm kind of a I speak too fast, I think too fast, and um, I'm probably I, I feel the most affiliation with him uh, than all the other clones. I'm going to guess so. It's probably those. It's going to be it's going to be tech. He's the easiest to hop into. And now we're going to go with Brian with Full of Sith. Brian. Hey, Dee. Um, I'm curious. Uh, you've got 
a batch of clones that you took through the Clone Wars that all had a relationship with a young woman growing up with Ahsoka. And you've got these clones uh, having this relationship with Omega. And I'm wondering if you can kind of talk about the differences they're having and and how uh, how Omega is affecting the clones, uh, you know, the Bad Batch, but also your performance of them and 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 how that works. Yeah, well, that's an interesting uh, parallel. There is each is a um, a young, able young woman who is sort of steps into this as a as a highly able, competent child, and that comes to connect with and learn from and and find agency in the adult world. And on the other end of that, you have the adult community that she's she's learning from and becoming part of that learns from her. Where, where she becomes her own kind of authority and teacher. Um, it's particularly interesting to me how this plays out with Omega in season two, where her she, she's very forthcoming and very upfront with the emotional take that she has on something, uh, if somebody leaves, for instance, um, because this is her family. This is her center of gravity. It's a, it's a moving uh, uh, center of gravity, but it's still her center of gravity. Um, and, and, a, and a child is often immediately frustrated with a seemingly impossible situation or something that defies expectation. And, the, um, and yet a child has ability to pivot very quickly and to improvise a situation and to drop baggage. You know, it's like a child can forgive very quickly. Grownups forgive very slowly, for instance. And so she comes into the, into contact with this group that um, is very improvisational in their stance towards the universe and, and things that are coming at them. And she learns from that, but they also learn from her because uh, more and more they come to see that there's a wisdom in, in what the child brings and how she learns with an open heart. And, um, and I think that is transformational to all of them to, to, to bring that more directly into focus into how they how they relate to each other and how they see themselves and how they engage with the universe and the and the larger mythological um uh, superstructure of politics that's playing out in general so to me it's very interesting to see that dynamic in both of those series uh of of the adults learning from the child as well as the the child learning from the adults Next, we're going to go to Sky Talkers. Caitlin, Charlotte. Sky Talkers. Yeah. Hi, Dee. So hey. good to talk to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Great to talk to you. You voiced so many clones throughout the years. Hey, there's my Lula. Yeah, oh, yeah. She's right oh, there. Lula. Anyway, what's your question? <laughs> <laughs> well, what is it about these roles that still excites you after all these years? These roles are so beautifully written. And the story that's playing out is such a detailed and recognizable human story. And the political forces that are playing out also is recognizable. Um, and so this isn't fantasy to me. These are real things that are playing out in terms of how we deal with life and how we overcome ourselves and how we come to find agency in, in the world and with with larger stories that are playing out around us uh, and that decision of, of whether to behave in a selfish manner or in a in a blind manner or whether to engage 
and to pitch in and to help out and to make this world more fair. I mean, this is something that that really comes online uh, from childhood into into being a grown up is what's fair. What's the thing that I should do um, if I have choices, um, many choices? How am I going to apply that and how does that pay out and, and, and or does it pay off, you know? And so what I'm saying is that the story that's playing out, it's exciting to be involved with this, with all of the hundreds of artists involved, because the stories are, the stories are meaningful and, and they impact me. They're, they're impactful in an emotional way that feels uh, memorable and that I think about a lot and that mean a lot to me personally. And I know it does to the fans <laughs> that I run into at the conventions at all is as people really pin their lives and their relationships and their family interactions, uh, they, they frame it around uh, this grander mythology that's playing out. I don't want to oversell it, but, but it's, it's, it, 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 it means a lot to people for very good reasons. And I think they're going to see even more of that in a, in a deeper uh, and 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 far more interesting and varied way coming up in season two. Hi, this is Vivian Lyra Blair, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. And next, we're going to go to James with Jedi News. Um, my question is: Is that obviously uh, with COVID behind us, were you able to go back into the studio and interact with uh, Michelle and some of the other cast whilst you were doing the voices for season two? Yeah, we piv- we pivoted quickly to just exclusively remote collaborative creation when COVID hit. So we only did a couple of sessions up front uh, in the first season in a studio, in a proper studio. And then all the rest was all recorded remotely. Um, As it stands now, it's mostly all still remote, but they're testing the waters of getting back into a studio. Uh, I've I've done it a couple of times so far, but so far, uh, like with COVID protocols with the union and with um, with an abundance of caution on the corporate side, um, that it's not it's not everybody back in this in the studio all the time. And I don't think that it probably will ever do that because there are advantages uh, in terms of efficiency uh, to the remote collaboration model. Um, that said, there are there are certain scripts that we have that when the cast is available. Um, that if you can get those players together in the same space face to face then um then then there's some there's a little bit of 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 advantage and a little bit of a bump in terms of the final result of uh that you finally get so it's still mostly remote a little bit back in studio but not very much so far all right and now we're going to richard with skywalking through neverland hey hey d hey I love the light cycle background you have there. Oh, I love your background too. That's awesome. I want to. I want to check that out. That's a, that's super cool. Well, come on over. I got some Kenner toys we'll play with. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Now, uh, Hunter has been a, a great father figure to Omega in season one and a, a great mentor. But what do you think will be the last piece of guidance he will give to her before they hypothetically part ways in the future in one way or another? Well, I I can't speak specifically in terms of how things will play out, but as I'm about to see, the final chapter of the direct parenting experience is to say goodbye 
to the butterfly and to let that butterfly fly. And to do so is heartbreaking, but is the, it is the fulfillment of parenting. And so that's what has to, I think, at some point play out. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm at the edge of the empty nest myself <laughs> in my family. So these things feel, um, feel very present to me. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. May the clones be with you. Yes, and you too, sir. Next, we're going to Keith and Kerwin with Father Son Galaxy. Hello, Father Dee. Galaxy. How are you? Hello, doing great. Hey, it's did I see you guys? You cel- yeah, I saw you at Celebration, right? Yeah, we did the oh. interview. Yes, hello again. Hello again. Good to see you. Hello. Can you do the record voice? <laughs> yeah, That's not a question. Record voice. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But our real question is about Crosshair. So we know that he's working for the Empire and that they phase out the clothes at some point. So is he aware of the Empire's plan to get rid of the clothes or replace them with stormtroopers? Or does he think that he's too valuable for the Empire to replace him and that he's basically not going to be affected by their plan? That's a very interesting question. Because Crosshair has thrown in with the Empire, hasn't he? And yet now... He has to see how the consequences of his choices play out in the larger scope of things. (laughs) So in terms of how that's going to play out, I mean, that's that is the that's that's the interesting story that's been that's been put into play, isn't it? Is um, is that he's he's left his team. He's joined a larger team. And the question is, and and that is very, dealt with very directly in the second season, is how does that play out? It's a very interesting question. <laughs> Thank you. We'll be sure to watch. Absolutely. Thank I'll you be so much. Watching for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next, we're going to Mark with Tarkin's top shelf. Hello, D. Uh, hey, long-time Mark. listener, first-time caller. Hey. Uh, my kids love it when I read to them out loud and do funny voices or serious ah, voices. You know, ah, that's uh, funny. Looking okay. at IMDb, you have over 650 acting credits. Uh, like you're approaching Frank Welker territory here, uh, including a puddle of goo in Star Trek Prodigy. Um, <laughs> so, as a desperate father trying to keep his children entertained. After all this time, how do you keep the process of finding new ways to use your voice interesting and fresh for yourself? The way that I keep it fresh for myself is this, is that I maintain things that I love to do that aren't acting. They're things that I just love. For instance, um, uh, photographing insects or playing the bass or making my Halloween yard. If you want to check out my Halloween yard at creepyyard.com, you can, because I love creating Halloween yards and I love that holiday. And so for me, as a, as a, as a human being, but also as an artist, I think it's important that you keep these other fires, these other passions or interests or curiosities um, alive as you are soldiering through the grand project of of being a dad and or being an artist is that you have to uh you you have to feed yourself the fuel that gives you the energy to 
to push through these these other larger missions that you're involved with. So um, so that's the answer to me is that is not to just to do the one thing, but to have other things that are also up and running and that that sustain and feed your sense of enthusiasm and enjoyment in living. Yeah, one, one thing I've noticed is that uh, you never know where inspiration comes from. So thank you very much. Right. Well, and, and the Bad Batch sees that very, very clearly. I mean, they learn that that's sort of their uh, a battle tactic for them is this improvisational stance. And that's a lot of what Omega is learning, too, is that it, it seems like you hit a brick wall. But if you stay open to it and you realize that you're in this together, that you will find a solution uh, creatively together uh, by just being open to the universe, to, to, to how this is going, and that you don't stop. And that's, that's, that's true whether you're a member of the Bad Batch or, or, or running a family <laughs> or just living your life, is this kind of improvisational stance is a really, it's a really useful stance, I think, towards, towards living in general. All right. And Mark with Fanta Tracks, you have time for another question. Dee, as animation gets more cinematic, as visuals get better, as, as music cues change, as all the elements of it become more, waggling the air quotes, real, does that affect or does that change the way you perform a character? Let's say if you were doing The Bad Batch 15 years ago to that animation compared to where it is now, it's so cinematic and beautiful. Does it make any difference to what you do? Ultimately, the, uh, from the Clone Wars forward um, with the, the television animated Star Wars, um, that it, it was always made as cinema for television. Um, and it and the people making it were the people that made the cinema versions of Star Wars. And so it was always approaching that that tone and that realism. And they they get they, they it, it, it's in, in season two. I mean, it's really remarkable. You can go through and watch it and just say, OK, I'm just going to pay attention to the lighting in this show. Or I'm just going to pay attention to the music and the musical motifs that are woven in. I mean, it, it's 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 as sophisticated as the best uh, uh, feature film that you could possibly wish to see. And and the show has always had that that intent and that tone to me. So uh, to me, um, we may have relaxed into our characters more. But that's more a function of just being used to telling these stories. But the stories were always told uh, from a very cinematic point of view in terms of how it was lit and how the music was applied, the the visual references, the angles, the shots, the way that it's blocked out. It's all, it's very cinematic. And, and often you can go through it and say, oh, that's Hitchcock. Oh, that's Kurosawa right there. That's a Spielberg scene, and, and you can you can you can see it very directly how they weave in the history of cinema into what is effectively a, a weekly cinematic experience in 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 the Bad Batch and, and the Clone Wars series. I'm Anthony Daniels, and you are listening to Fanta Tracks. Well done, Sarah. Uh, if you'd like to kick us off with the first question, you can go for it. 
Hey, hey there. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Richard and Sarah from Skywalking Through Neverland. And we have a music question for you guys because Kevin Kiner is just amazing. And in season one, he had this great innocent theme for Omega. But now that Omega is growing up in season two, what was the direction you gave Kevin Kiner for her theme? And maybe can you talk about any other themes we can look forward to in season two? Ooh, we could spend this whole time talking about Kevin <laughs> Kiner and all of Team Kiner, Dean and Sean as well, his son. They're so great. Um, yeah, Omega's theme is so beautiful. And if you listen carefully, you'll hear it in different versions throughout season two, uh, depending on depending on the situation. Um, I'll just say, because I don't want to take up all the time, uh, watch out for episode three coming out pretty quick in season two. The music is incredible. And, you know, speaking of the direction to the Kiners, it's really a collaboration when we do music spotting, I tell them these are the moods we're going for, and they always have thoughts. They're so good. They're the best. And Brian, you can take the next question. I asked a version of this, I think, last time we talked for season one, and I'm wondering <clears throat> um, how it's changed. As you look to season two, there's there's always a lot of like movie reference that that gets that happens and gets thrown around. And I'm wondering what sort of movie references as far as structure or inspiration we could be looking forward to as we head into season two from the writing room. I mean, we're constantly talking about uh, inspiration from, you know, Indiana Jones to (laughs) um, Goonies to, uh, again, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil where we're going, but there's, uh, there's also like a um, monster type, uh movie vibe uh it, it's sort of when you get all of us in a room together we're all such different individuals and we draw inspiration from various films and and television that it's a great you know um exploration into what creative content we all enjoy and how we can put that into each of our episodes and 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 really make them pop in a in a star wars vibe and caitlin you can take the next question It'll actually be me, Charlotte. But hi, uh, I'm Charlotte from Sky Talkers. Um, in season one, some of the themes of the season we loved were personal choice and perseverance. Um, what themes were you interested in exploring in season two? Well, I, I'd say the the word that I use for season two is uh, is crossroads, and that is what several um, several of our characters um, come to in in season two and. We explore sort of the changing dynamic between um, between the the batch and the empire, but also the internal dynamic uh, within the bad batch and how that evolves as you know more pressures put on them and as you know the empire is continuing to rise to power. Hi, this is Andy Seacom, otherwise known as a Watto, and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. And James, you can take the next question. Where have the bad batch? grown how how do you see all of the characters have grown between season one and how we see them in season two they've definitely grown and they've become different they've been through a lot visually we wanted to show that some time has passed um omega's a little older her hair's a little longer uh the batch themselves armor is all dented up and beat up the the uh the padding under their armor has had to be replaced probably several times as they've been through countless things we wanted to show them more threadbare not living the greatest life, living gig to gig was part of what Jen was saying about this, this crossroads. Like, what are they going to do next is something that we get into. And of course, somewhere they scrounged up enough money to buy Omega a new outfit so she wouldn't be wearing pajamas for her whole life. And she has a little little hat with some uh, some some metal armor on it. We, we just wanted to show that 
the, this team has become even more of a family, even more close to it is a big deal. Thank you. And Tricia, you can take the next question. Obviously, some of the clones still have their chips and they're functionally younger than Omega when Order 66 happened. Does having more information and wisdom change how the chips are going to affect the clones? I think with what what we're exploring with the, with the chips is that, you know, it's once the clones have committed Order 66, it's, you know, at least with the batch, obviously their chips were a little um degraded uh, because they're considered um, genetically, you know, mutations of of clones. Um, So it didn't fully work. And, you know, Crosser obviously had his um, removed later on, but not all clones are, are the same and how, how others are uh, reacting to not just the chip, but, but what they've done and, and who's, who's more aware of, of the actions they've committed and also like as time progresses, what that means for them uh, as they're looking at their involvement within the empire. And uh, father, son, galaxy, Keith or Kerwin, you can ask the next question. So in season one, Hunter was the father figure for Omega and he made sure to keep her safe from harm. But now we see in season two that Omega is a little older and more wiser. So, can you tell us a little bit about Hunter and Omega's relationship in season two? Does Hunter feel Omega's capable of taking care of herself now, or is he still like her father figure? Yeah, we we explore all of that. It's a really great question. Um, Hunter, as a father, and myself as a father as well, and your dad probably feels the same way. Sometimes you make great decisions. Sometimes you don't. We have to deal with all of that with this family unit. And seeing, you know, we definitely have moments where Hunter realizes Omega needs to make her own decision. And she actually will tell him that we, we've tried to explore all of the facets of this family. And then also as a unit, you could see Omega right away in the first episode that she's, she's, she's grown. She's more capable. She's doing all these amazing things. She still has a lot to learn and we show her learning many things through the season. And Becca, you can ask the next one. Sorry, was very unprepared. I thought Mark was going to go in my stead. Yeah, but I, I actually am ready to go. Uh, go ahead, way. Mark. Okay, yeah. So this is like a combined question from both Becca and I for Jennifer. Um, so how did your tenure on NCIS as a writer and co-executive producer translate into executive producing on The Bad Batch? Um, as a woman writing, uh, how exciting and important is this for you to be in charge or leading the charge of something in Star Wars that's usually been male-dominated? Uh, and this show, you might argue, is female-led with Omega, or Omega, as she might say, um, even if it's mostly uh, you know the, the four guys watching her, her four dads. Um, so uh, how do you go about fashioning her to fit as an adolescent girl in the middle of a war with middle-aged men. So there's a lot to unpack there. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big question. Um, well, I, I think my, my time at NCIS was, uh, was aided by the fact that I was in the military. So I think that's, that's what helped me sort of understand these stories and, and focus on, um, you know, the, the characters and, and what the predicament that they're in, you know, what I loved about the Bad Batch and and when I got the opportunity to develop the Bad Batch with um, Dave Filoni was that I, I responded to the military squad and and the idea of having them be a guardian to this young girl. You know, a lot of that dynamic stemmed from not only my time in the military, but also I have three older brothers. 
And growing up, they were like my idols. And I just, you know, wanted to play hockey with them and like always wanted to kind of tag along. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, whether they wanted to or not, I just sort of inserted myself <laughs> into, into their lives. Um, but, you know, being a, um, a female head writer, uh, you know, for Star Wars is, you know, uh, I, I'm honored to, to, to do this and, and, it, but I'll say it's very much a collaborative effort and I can't, I couldn't have done it without Brad. We are very much like a, a tag team when it comes to, um, the series and, we are guided every step of the way with, with Dave Filoni, um, you know, who's been such a great mentor to us, but we take it very seriously writing these stories and making these stories. And, you know, it's just, it's an honor to be part of the Star Wars universe universe and just tell, um, tell stories we're passionate about. And um, yeah, I, I hope with Omega, it's just exploring a dark time in the galaxy, but seen through the lens of a child who is learning all about what it means to be a person and, and um, to sort of choose to help people, even when, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of risk involved because that's what you do when someone's in need, which, you know, hopefully that is a lesson to take away uh, for, for our, our world today. For everything in one location, daily news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, video, and social media feeds, bookmark fathatracks.com. For Star Wars News 24-7-365. All right, and next up, I'll be asking you guys a question on behalf of an outlet called Fanthatracks. So, with the explosion in popularity of live-action Star Wars and with the animated space having such an important role in the wider story, how do you guys make sure that what you do is seen by the wider audience and remains an essential element of the whole Star Wars story? You know, I, I mean, I'll I'll jump in there. I'd say, um, you know, we love all the live action series. We're big fans of of everything they're doing. For our, you know, in our in our arena, we just try to tell the best stories we can. We don't we don't worry about trying to say like, how are we gonna wow someone? How are we gonna make such a big headline that we draw all of the the audience to us? We're just trying to be true to these characters and tell tell their stories. Like Jen, you were just saying, Omega. As she grows up and what decisions are she going to make? We talk more about that really. Um, and if we're doing our jobs right, I think that's the, the way to do it. And if it turns out good, then hopefully the fans will, will come and check it out, you know? And then back to you, Sarah and Richard, you can ask the next question. Thank you very much. And I want to thank you for hiring my favorite comedian of all time, Wanda Sykes. <laughs> I am so excited about this. So can you tell us about working with, Miss Sykes and a little about her character. Yeah, Wanda is so cool. She's so funny. She's always she's so so good. Um, and you know, we always, even regardless of how her character's written on the page, when we're with her in the booth, she'll have ideas, you know, for tweaks of lines or how to how to bring a certain um, you know, swagger to the role, which is really that's really the fun thing to see how she reacts off of our main characters. It's a it's a joy and a pleasure to work with her. And she plays uh, uh, Fee Genoa, who's a uh, um, sort of a sort of a, we call her the liberator of ancient wonders, which, you know, is 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 her definition for, um, you know, smuggler slash pirate. <laughs> um, but she's, you know, she's a friend, a friend of Sid's. And uh, and yeah, Wanda's just Wanda's such a so delight to to work with. And uh, yeah, we're excited about um, the fans seeing this character. Thank you. And thank you once again for bringing her on the team. 
And Brian, you can take the next question. Uh, I want to ask, uh, you mentioned a little bit that that Dave Filoni kind of, you know, has his influence on everything that that you're doing. And I'm wondering, like, what is that that day-to-day sort of influence and what sort of um, guidance has he given you for season two that you could share with us? I mean, usually uh, Dave hears the stories that that were that are percolating in our brains as as we're getting ready to go into story conferences. We'll talk to him about, you know, the next group of episodes. But also, you know, we had discussions on season two and where we'd like to go and and certain tenpole episodes that that were of, you know, key interest to us. And, you know, he provides guidance and, and input throughout the whole process in terms of like, you know, before these episodes even get broken to um, the draft phase to even later on um, when it's when it's animated. So, you know, he's there to, you know, make sure that if uh, making sure it's the best version and asking us the important questions and making sure that we're, you know, hitting everything and, and bringing everything to the level that it should be. Yeah, he gives us he gives us notes on various phases of our uh, previs process and our full animation process, and sometimes they hurt, sometimes those hurt, but they're always he's so smart, he's so good, and and his his influence is literally across the whole show, especially when we have characters from you know that 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 are introduced that you know may have been from different different shows movies. You know, we, we want to make sure that that we're all okay. we're all on the same page about about what's happening there. Thank and you. up next, we have Sky Talkers. So Charlotte or Caitlin, mm-hmm. you can ask the next question. Hi, I'm Caitlin, the other half of Sky Talkers. It's so nice to talk to you both today. Um, my question is: Visually, this season looks very different from season one already. How does the look and feel for season two? How has it evolved? Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's the same style, but we're always looking at technology and, and other old, older fashioned um, Hollywood techniques to push the style. How can we take this, this existing style and push the nuance and the fidelity? For example, um, in the trailer, in the first episode, we're on this, uh, this island planet and the, the way that the water reflects the light, the way that that then influences the characters where they might be running from giant crabs. It's in the trailer. Check it out. So fun. Um, it is a thing we looked at. We we've been in, implementing a lot more matte paintings this this season as well. So not just the, you know, the CGI technology, but the old fashioned ILM influence in the, we really helps us make a huge jump in the scope and scale of the series. So yeah, we, we talk about that all the time, constantly pushing. Hi, this is Gareth Edwards, director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage called Rogue One. You're listening to Panther Tracks. Enjoy. And James, you can take the next question. How, how have the stories um, evolved in season two? Because obviously we're getting a two-parter at the start, a two-parter in the middle and a two-parter at the end. So is that is that to take us on a particular journey? Why was that decision made? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very, we're very, uh, it's very intentional as to why um, we're grouping these episodes together. And, you know, it was important to us in season two to continue to tell fantastical adventure stories but also thread in the element of the growing threat of of the empire but also other groups that have sort of i guess taken hints from the empire and and are also doing um oppressive things and and having the batch interact with various you know parties throughout the galaxy but we wanted you know those are sort of the two parters are very I guess tent polish type episodes of 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 where we're leading. So yes, it was very intentional. 
And Trisha, you can take the next question. Can you talk about bringing Gunji into the season? Ooh, yeah, yes. very, very fun. Um, and he's quite a character. Seeing seeing Gunji with Omega in particular brings lots of joy to my life. Hopefully, to all of you as well. When you see it, we love Gunji. Yeah, we. Uh, I, I'm I'm trying to remember specifically how how the evolution of of that happened, but I think you know I think the way we pitched it was that we wanted. Uh, in, in through season two, it's other people that they've come into contact with, with right that need that need assistance and need help. And the idea of a Jedi youngling having survived and but having no support system, and the opportunity to pair him with Omega, like Brad was saying, was just she rarely gets to hang out with kids, which is why we loved the Hera episodes um, last year. And but you know, Gunji's a very different individual, and you know, I, I'm pretty sure that was a, a Dave Filoni suggestion yeah. of of, of who, who that who that youngling or that Padawan could be, and we were just we were thrilled to to bring him back because we're all massive fans. <laughs> and for the final question, Kerwin or Keith, bring us home, fellas. <laughs> Thank you. So it seems that the batch is still working for Sid and they're taking on missions missions just to earn a living. But Echo's been saying for a very long time that they should be doing more. You yeah, know, they need to get involved in the fight. Yes. So I'm wondering if the uh these two uh thoughts that they're having on the same team, will this cause a conflict with the team? A great divide. Yeah, we we specifically get into that in a in a in a few episodes and see how that difference of opinion grows and what that leads to and and how that affects the team and the family it's a really it's a really interesting thing it's a it's a great question it's something we were talking about um you know we wanted to make sure that echo had a little bit more time in the spotlight this season for sure because we love echo so much and in, in where he, what, what he does this season is pretty great and the the conflict you know between them and the different the difference of opinions and what they should be doing does affect sort of you know how they view um their working relationship with Sid and is this really the best choice for them at, you know as other things are are really taking place so it you know everything's sort of everything's everything's very connected for, for that in season 2 I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson and you are following Fanthatrax Becca and Mark Oh, wow. Hi, I'm first. Always nerve wracking. Hi. Um, so I'm Becca from Dark and Stop Shelf. Um, so I have a question for you. First of all, I love the character. Um, Jennifer earlier spoke of Crossroads for this season. So I have to ask, and I've been wondering, is this something Omega will tackle personally as in Crossroads? Like the growth level, leaving adolescence be- behind, you know, childish things behind and how will that affect her? And that said, what's the difference between her now and this season versus where we left her behind in season one? Thanks, Becca. I think you've sort of hit the nail on the head. Um, we have a we have a time jump and, you know, in season one, she was very much a naive youth. She'd never left Camino. So the physical wonder of, you know, being on different planets and, and the, the physical world was sort of what really amazed her. I think what we kind of move into for season two for Omega is this awareness of um of deeper themes of um you know of politics, of meeting communities and people who who have a 
a lifestyle that feels intrinsically unjust or unfair to her and sort of invest, she starts to investigate that. Um, we also have, you know, mentors that she comes across who have different different views about like what the mercenary life means. And I think overall it's this idea of identity, like who who is she, who are the batch, and how do they choose to, now that they're free, how do they choose to spend their existence? And can they add can they and should they advocate for a cause or do they have a right just to exist and and enjoy life and and not you know not be on missions either their own or someone else's all right and next we'll be moving to sarah and richard hey hey there michelle thanks for joining us i am richard this is sarah from skywalking through neverland and we would love to know about your performance as Omega. Can you take us through the process of aging up Omega for season two with your vocal performance? Oh, thank you. Um, that's an interesting question. So uh, it's more that obviously for season one, um, I had to work much harder to sound younger. Uh, season two is is almost in some ways easier to be a little bit older because it's closer to my to my own natural state. Um and it's really just like I sort of said, the the, the childlike wonder um, is tampered down a bit. And season two, I feel, is a little bit emotionally darker and more challenging. So I think um, just because of the emotional stakes that we see Omega go through, uh, the, the viewers and my performance was sort of yeah, it was it was really easy to lean into like making her feel a little bit older because of the emotional stakes that. Um, that our story takes her through this season. All right. And next we'll be moving to Trisha. Hi, I'm Trisha Barr from Fangirls Going Rogue. Um, we've followed the animation process for a long time, and I know that every show is a little different. What's the recording like? Who's in the room with you when you're recording and how does that go? <laughs> Hi, Trisha. That's a really fun question. I actually, I'm in New Zealand. I record in New Zealand, literally uh, in my little studio in my house. So I am 100% by myself. Um, and I get to zoom into LA and San Francisco. Our team is kind of spread between those two places. And I'm not 100% sure of the animation process because a lot of the times when we do our record, I'm just, uh, I just have a script and a director and and possibly my co my co stars, my co my co actor voice, my co voice actors. Um, but then when we do pickups, the animation and the uh, recording process has converged a little bit more. So it's always exciting on pickup record because we get a little glimpse of the animatics. Often, you know, nowhere near finished. Um, but that's when you really sort of see the direction and the the mind's eye of the director bringing the vocal performance and layering it with, um, you know, the animation beats. But but really, in terms of what I do, I, I kind of work solely in the audio space until the very, very end. But they also record me, I think. they they have. I have to record my face and it's weird. Sometimes it's 6 a.m. in the morning and... <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I pity the person who has to watch this video. But I think sometimes they um, might might take some of my mannerisms and work that into their um, ideas for Omega. All right. And next we are moving to Brian with Full of Sith. Hey, I've got sort of a two-part question. I'm wondering how the uh, the Bad Batch have influenced Omega as she's moving into season two, but also like in a real world uh, situation, like how has D. Bradley Baker uh, influenced or mentored you as a, a voice actor 
in parallel with that. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, obviously the Bad Batch brothers, I think we are, I'd like to think that Amiga and her brothers are on a more even playing field. I think you'll really sense that. It's not like she is trying to ingratiate herself to them anymore. And in some instances, uh, we see that she has potentially a better insight into a situation, perhaps, than her experienced brothers. Um, what I love about season two is that we'll get to explore more specific dynamics between Omega and each of her brothers, the individual personalities of them and how Omega interacts with that is is quite special. And, you know, I mean, obviously Hunter and Rekka had really wonderful um arcs in season one but but you know echo and Ted, we just get a we get a deeper sense of how omega interacts with each of her brothers and then with d um i'm sure you guys all know he's an incredible actor and very experienced and also incredibly generous the fact that we live in different countries means that we don't often get to physically connect but um you know we got to meet in celebration i think for the second time in person <laughs> and um he was he was there then and he was you know very generous and mostly i think uh he's a shining beacon for how to um you know he he loves his job and he loves all of you guys and the fan base and i think i was a little bit nervous because i haven't really been a part of uh, a big family like this and he was just a very reassuring friend and um yeah, I, I I ask him for most of the advice he gives me is sort of just how to calm my nerves before doing things like this or like how to how to navigate my way through um through press stuff because uh yeah, I that that stuff is completely new to me. <laughs> Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall and you're listening to Fanta Tracks. And next we're moving to James with Jedi News. I wanted to ask you about your new costume. You've got a brand new costume. You finally got rid of those pajamas. How did that feel? And and can you talk us through when you first saw that costume and how you felt about you know your new your your new hat as well? Just talk us through that process if you can. Thanks, James. Thanks for being so reassuring. That's kind of you. Um, yeah. So I, you know, we often we only get the scripts like literally a couple of days before we record. Um, but Brad, our director, had prefaced that there would be a, a change. I think I probably only saw the new outfit. Yeah, maybe maybe during pickups of like the first episode. So it would have I would have done the recording before I understood exactly the new visual. What? But it makes sense, right? She's <laughs> she's she's been she's pretty dangerous. Yeah, she's growing up. I feel like it's uh, sensible to have uh, have a little bit more protection. And I think it's really just this visual indicator, like I mentioned, that she is absolutely comfortable and competent in this batch, in the squad. Mm-hmm. And um, is her love for adventure and missions. And she sort of wears it as comfortably as she would wear her Camino pajamas. So it's not, uh, yeah, it's not a bulky, it's not a bulky un unusual thing for her I think you know we see her move in it and um it feels like it, it belongs to her so it's sort of cementing her her identity in the squad as as someone who's ready for action um and yeah I, I was excited to see like her having a little bit of longer hair and the helmet I, she just looks she looks older to me you know uh, in, a, in a in a way that makes sense because of you know the, the missions that they're now going on and next we'll be moving to Charlotte and Caitlin Hi, Michelle. I'm Caitlin from Skytalkers. So nice to talk to you today. 
Um, my question is one of my favorite parts of season one was uh, the relationship between Omega and Crosshair, actually. And I loved how Omega had hope for Crosshair at different points in season one. Do you think she still has hope for him throughout season two? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Omega has, you know, is very aware of each of her brothers. And as much as Crosshair and the Batch are now in, you know, their paths, their story paths are quite separate. I, I have no doubt that Omega absolutely thinks of him as family. And um, Omega has a very sort of clear mission in terms of what she what she wants her family to look and feel like. So Crosshair is not someone that Omega will have forgotten about at all. All right. And next we'll be moving to Kerwin and Keith. So we have a question about Omega's role in the Bad Batch. So as much as it is a story about the dismantling of the clones by the Empire, it's also more of a coming-of-age story about Omega. And now that she's older and wiser, how does she feel about her role in the team and what she's learning about herself and her <laughs> Force-sensitive abilities? <laughs> um, well, to, to the... Second thing, I don't think she, she doesn't think of herself as as that at all. Uh, she is a, a curious and empathetic soul, and I think what um, what is dawning for Omega throughout season two is how how passionate and aware she is that her and her brothers, especially I think in in the first half of the season, um, how there isn't really much advocating for them as their own race or, you know, beings in their own right. They're sort of very much considered um, assets or pawns that have been commandeered by various groups. And so it's really interesting to see Omega, because she has a strong sense of identity, of family, of the fact that all the clones are her brothers, but also because she's so naive to politics and war, she has this very pure and unbridled passion to to ensure that they, as a, as a race, are protected and heard and valued. And I think we'll really get to see what that means to her and how she can apply herself to protecting her family. Hi, this is Guy Henry, and you're listening to Fantha Tracks. Enjoy. Mark with Fantha Tracks could not be here for this roundtable, but I will be reading his question for you. Omega made such a huge impact during season one. People totally fell in love with her. So coming into season two, where do you stand with first your relationship to an older, more savvy Omega? And second, the fandom who have taken you into their hearts in such a strong way. Um... An older and more savvy Omega, well, it just, I think I mentioned before that season two has some sort of darker and more um, it themes that are, that potentially have high, like quite high stakes. And it was really delicious, especially as an actor and voice actor to play out scenes or interactions that um, emotionally went to, to scarier, deeper, more unsettled places. Um, so as a creative, I really enjoyed giving that sort of extra emotional dimension to Omega and being allowed to um, have very, yeah, emotional scenes. And in terms of the fandom, I am 
like I mentioned, I still get a little bit nervous. It just feels so big. But after having met many of you at Celebration this year, which was my first convention, um, it's it's just so heartwarming. I I love under, understanding like how much Star Wars has been a part of not just like an individual, but potentially, you know, like their family. It seems very intergenerational. Um, it also you know, across genders. And I, I one thing that blew me away um, at Celebration was just this like unbridled sense of indiv- acceptance of everyone's individual entry into Star Wars. So um, as someone like who's new, I just feel like even though I'm new, I, yeah, everyone's been very generous and kind. And um, since it's a good, it's a good community to be a part of. So thank you. <laughs> All right. And Becca and Mark, you have time for another question. Hi, uh, Mark from Tarkin's Top Shelf. Um, so Dee Bradley Baker has been the one-man clone show for a decade and a half now, which is hard to believe. Uh, so how did you approach an established character type that he has inhabited for so long and create a new character that is a unique individual in her own right? Uh, and how did you find a way to play that character that showed the right balance of innocence and intelligence? Uh, thanks. Gosh, I had no idea that it was actually that long, but it's not surprising. He is incredibly f- like comfortable and fluid in, in finding different voices for essentially the same character. Um, as for myself, I think the just the fact that Omega is a young girl clone um, did liberate me quite a lot from having to sort of like pick up um, where Dee had, had created. Um, I also have the added lucky bonus that I am naturally gifted with the New Zealand accent. So I think I didn't have to work quite as hard as D is like getting the accent right. Um, and in terms of innocence and, and intelligence, I, I have to just take my hat off to the writers. I think the the writing in Bad Batch is extremely well considered. They're also very generous as well. Um, if, you know, when we're doing a record, if something, if a line, if a line sort of comes across too adult, it sort of is immediately apparent, you know, when I'm reading, I'm like, I feel like she wouldn't have, she wouldn't describe the feeling in this way, or this word feels, feels perhaps too mature for her to use. Those kinds of things um, sometimes come up in recordings and our writer um, or Jen, our head writer is often on the recording. So they're very generous in being able to work with me to find something that fits better. Um, But really it's just the, the deliciousness of voice acting where they create a story and a scene and a world. And then when I record it, I imagine that I'm there and yeah, I guess just the, the natural instinct for how I would, how I would say something with, with my imagination coupled together comes that that's what breathes life into Amiga. And I'm glad that you think that it's working. Sarah and Richard, you have time for another question. Oh, great. How would Omega, in her own voice and her point of view, how would she describe season two using the Omega voice? Using the Omega voice. Do you mean like um, looking back, knowing everything that's happened? Yes, from her point of view. Um, hmm, Good question. I think from her point of view, it would be like if there was a catchphrase, it would be like, don't worry about, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. Fine. Let's, let's, let's do this for our family. I think she has, without giving away any spoilers, um, she has this 
incredible bravery in the face of something that will literally rip apart their family. And she is not fearful because she knows that she wants to contribute to to the greater cause. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great answer. Thanks for listening to Making Tracks. If you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, visit PantherTracks.com or check out the free Panther Tracks app for the App Store to follow us on your mobile device. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at PantherTracks.com, comment, like, and share on any of our social media feeds at PantherTracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And as always, thanks to James Semple for composing the PantherTracks intro, Adam O'Brien for our making tracks opening music and Mark Daniel and Vanessa Marshall for our voiceovers remember tune in to Good Morning Tatooine it's live Sunday evenings at 9 o'clock UK 4pm Eastern 1pm Pacific on Facebook and YouTube and check out our Fantatracks Radio Friday night rotation every Friday night at 7pm UK time for new episodes of the Fanta from Down Under Planet Layer Desert Planet Discs Start Your Engines Collecting Tracks Cannon Fodder and special episodes of Making Tracks and that's me done for this episode Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio it's Collecting Tracks Knights of the Round Table, 